Lord, we love you so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, if you see there, uh, we, we read chapter number 6. Like I said, we're going to be in, in more chapters than just chapter number 6, because the, the, the story of Noah's Ark goes through chapter number 9. But we read chapter number 6 there, and um, you know, I was kind of excited to study out this story, Noah's Ark. You know, a lot of times we think of Noah's Ark and we think, you know, it's just a little kid's story, um, it's something for, for the kids, and you know, first of all, it's in the Bible, so it's for everybody, and it's not just for kids. Now, it is a great story for children. I mean, it's a, it's a story of a, of a, a voyage, a, a, a sea adventure, you know, and, and you have all the animals coming on the ark there, and, and you, you've got all that excitement, and yeah, it's a great story for kids, but it's a great, great story for adults. So let me just give you real quick, um, just to refresh you, the story of, we read there in chapter number 6, but the story of Noah's ark is this, the earth had just been overgrown with sin. Mankind had been sinning. There was violence. God got fed up with it. The Bible says it repented him that he even created mankind. And he came to Noah and he said, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to destroy the earth and everybody uh, everybody in the earth. And I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to start over. And he said, Noah, I'm going to save you. And he had Noah build an ark. Noah built an ark. The Bible says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And God flooded the earth. And, and Noah was the only one that survived there with his family, his wife, his three kids, and the, his three boys, and the wives of the, of the sons there. And they were able to get off the ark and pretty much start a new uh, civilization. Now let me just, before we get into the preaching uh, of, of it, let me give you uh, a few interesting facts about the flood. About the flood. Uh, you know, maybe things that you, you may know or you may not know. Number one, interesting fact about the flood, is that up to this point when Noah was living, you know, we're, in, we're so early in the history of, of the world. Uh, Noah uh, is, the Bible, we'll see here in another passage, the Bible tells us that he's the eighth person. So we're still pretty history uh, since, since, I mean, just a few weeks ago we were preaching about in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And at, up to this point in the life of Noah, it had never rained. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that most people know that, and I don't know if, if you really, if, if we can really understand that. But up to this point, it had never rained on the earth. Let me show you a verse. If you'd like to to go with me to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter number eleven. Hebrews chapter number eleven, and look at verse number seven. Now you might just want to mark your part, uh, put a mark there in Hebrews chapter number eleven, because we're going to be going back there. Uh, more than likely throughout the throughout the sermon, but Hebrews chapter number eleven. Look at verse seven. Verse seven. Hebrews chapter number eleven. Look at verse seven. The Bible says, "By faith Noah, being warned of God, and look what it says, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness." which is by faith. So what I wanted you to see there is that it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. See, God came to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to make it rain. And he was warned of God of things that Noah had never seen. Because it hadn't rained on the earth up to this point. Let me give you another uh, passage. Keep your spot there. Just mark Hebrews 11 because we're going to be going back there. But um, go, go to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. And look at verse number... Six. Genesis chapter number 2, and look at verse number 6. Genesis chapter number 2, and look at verse number 6. 
in verse 6, we're, we're getting a, a second account of, of the creation there. And I just want you to see verse 6, it says, But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. So according to the Bible, according to Genesis chapter number 2, in verse 6, in the when God created the heavens and the earth, there wasn't any rain, there was just a mist that went up from the earth, and the Bible says that that mist watered the whole face of the ground. So that's how they got uh, water to their vegetation, that's how the, the earth was hydrated. There was no such thing as rain at that point. When God told Noah, I'm going to make it rain, He had to explain to him what that meant. He had to explain to him, water is going to fall from the sky and it's going to flood the earth, Noah. And the Bible says that Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. He didn't know that. He didn't know what rain was. He didn't, he'd never seen it before, but he just had to have faith that God was right, that God was true, and that that's what God, what God says was going to happen. So, an interesting fact about the flood is that it never rained up to this point. And others... Uh, thing for you to keep in mind is this. The flood was a worldwide flood. The flood was a worldwide flood. Now there are those today who who say that this was just a local flood. And some Christians uh, who doubt the Bible will say, they'll, they'll use this terminology, they'll say they believe in a universal flood. And here's what they'll say. They'll say a universal flood is different than a worldwide flood because a worldwide flood means the entire world was under water. A universal flood, they'll say what that means is that it just, it, it, it just flooded, God just flooded Noah's little universe. You know, the valley that Noah lived in, in the city that Noah lived in. God flooded that, and since that's all that Noah knew, then it was a universal flood for Noah. So it was, uh, for Noah, he flooded the whole earth, but he didn't actually flood the whole earth. Just, uh, just what, what Noah knew. Noah's universe is what flooded. Now that's, that's a bunch of baloney. Let me show you. If you're in, if you're in Genesis chapter number two, look at go go to chapter number seven. Go to chapter number seven, and let me just give you uh, a biblical proof of this. A biblical proof that it was a worldwide flood. Genesis chapter number seven, and look at verse number seventeen. Genesis chapter number seven, and look at verse chapter verse seventeen. The Bible says, "And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the ark above the earth." And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. So the Bible says, all the high hills that were under the entire heaven, they were covered. According to verse 19, look at verse 20. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all the flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl, and of cattle, and of beasts, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, and all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which is upon the face of the ground, both man, and cattle, and creeping thing, and the fowls of heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth and 150 days. So according to the Bible, it's very clear. Every high hill was under the earth. Every mountain was covered with waters. What the Bible says, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail. Um, and, and the Bible says that God killed over and over. He said all the flesh died, all the fowls died, all the cattle died. Every living substance, Noah only remained alive. According to the Bible, this was an entire worldwide flood. It wasn't a local flood. And it wasn't uh, Noah's universal flood where it was just his little universe. You know, I don't even know what that means. It doesn't really make, make sense. I mean, 
It was a worldwide flood. That's what the Bible says. So I just want to explain that to you. Let me, now, now, we prove from the Bible that it was a worldwide flood. And that's really the most important thing. And we could end there and be done uh, because the Bible is our sole authority. But I think it's interesting. Uh, I want to share with you. There's historical proof. There's historical proof um, that, that tells us that there was once a worldwide flood. Now, this only adds to the accuracy of the Bible. We don't believe this because of historical proof. We believe... The flood was worldwide because the Bible says that God flooded the earth. But it's just interesting to add this uh, to the accuracy of the Bible. I'll read a, uh, an excerpt that I got off the internet here from, I was doing some research on this. And, and let me read this to you. It says, The traditions of the worldwide flood are universal. A catastrophic flood seems to be found in the collective memory or history of all ancient peoples. Some 270 of these stories have been cat, um, cataloged. What is interesting is the fact that the closer you get to Asia Minor, the closer the details are to the biblical account. So according to the Bible, two, I mean, according to the Bible, see, that's what I get for giving you other information, but I just think it's interesting. According to history, there are 270 accounts, 270 stories from ancient civilizations who all talk about a flood that destroyed the earth. And, uh, and, and why, why would it be that all these ancient civilizations had some sort of a writing or some sort of a legacy or some sort of a tale or some, that, they, that they would pass on? Talk about a, a, a flood that completely destroyed their society and destroyed the whole world. Well, here's why. Because it happens. Because it, it's true. You know, and a lot of people have... A lot of these, if you research it, a lot of these uh, old, uh, you know, quote-unquote myths of these ancient traditions, a lot of them talk about... One family being saved, talk about a man building a boat and being saved, uh, and, and talk about all of that. So it's very interesting that that historical proof would add to the accuracy of the Bible. So that, that's interesting to me. I don't know if that's interesting to you. But also think about this. If it was only a local flood, why would there be a need for an ark? Why would there be a need for, for God to tell Noah to build an ark? And even more than that, why such a massive ark? I mean, if it was just a local flood, why didn't God just tell him, Noah, move, I'm going to flood the city. Remember when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? He sent angels in and He took Lot out of the city. He took Lot out of the city and He destroyed the city. Why didn't He do that with Noah? Because it was a worldwide flood. It wasn't just a local flood. So just something to think about. Number three, another interesting fact about the flood, is that the flood wasn't just brought by rain. The flood wasn't just brought by rain. Now, when we're taught this as children, most of the time we're taught it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And that's true. But that wasn't the only thing that flooded the earth. Let me, let me share with you a few things. You're in Genesis chapter number 7. Look at verse number 12. Genesis chapter number 7. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So first of all, yes, there was rain. God made it rain for 40 days and 40 nights upon the earth. And that definitely attributed to the rain. Uh, but look at verse 11, the verse above that. It says, In the 600 year of Noah of Noah's life, in the second month, in the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. The Bible says the windows of heaven were opened. Now, what does this mean, the windows of heaven? Well, let me just tell you very quickly. Obviously, this could mean uh, just referring to the rain again. Now, I don't believe that because it would have made sense that at the end of verse 11, God would say the windows of heaven were opened, referring to rain, and then start... Verse 12, the very next verse was saying, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, maybe maybe it was. I, I don't know. I mean, it definitely could be. But some creation scientists believe, uh, which I, I think I would tend to agree with this. I, I don't know. But, um, well, let me just show you. You're in Genesis chapter number 7. Go to Genesis chapter number 1 and look at verse 6. Genesis chapter number 1 and look at verse 6. Right, let, me, let me show you this and... and you, 
I just want to give you information for you to think about. Uh, none of this is really, you know, something you, you have to believe one way or the other. I mean, it's just interesting to me. But look at Genesis chapter number 1 and look at verse 6. The Bible says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. So God created this thing called a firmament. And the purpose of the firmament was to divide the waters from the waters. Look at verse 7. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. So God created a firmament. The purpose of the firmament was to divide the water. And there was water that was under the firmament. There was water that was above the firmament. Now look at verse number 8. And God called the firmament heaven. Isn't that interesting? You know, I remember when I was a kid and I used to read this. I don't, I don't know. I, I just thought that firmament was earth. That's what that God was talking about. Because He said he, it divided the waters. And I thought, oh, the, the earth, you know, divides like one ocean from the other. But it's interesting. In verse 8, God tells us what the firmament is. And He says, And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, what some creation scientists believe is this. That in the pre-flood world, there was a canopy of water that compassed, uh, that, that was around the, around the world, up in heaven. So we had the earth, we had the water that was on the earth, and then we had heaven, our sky, our atmosphere, and then there was a canopy of water that surrounded the earth. Now, what some people, you know, and, and, and some people believe this, and again, I, just giving you information, I think it's interesting, they believe that this canopy of water provided a, a sort of greenhouse effect on earth. You know how you have a greenhouse and it'll be a, a building, you know, pretty much made out of glass, but inside of there, you know, you can grow plant life that maybe you couldn't grow right outside of there. Uh, because, you know, obviously the, the, the windows will provide sheltering and it'll protect the plant and it'll allow sun to still come in. Well, some creation scientists believe that this canopy made of water that was around uh, the earth would, would actually help uh, protect the earth from the damaging rays of the sun. And we, you know, we know that the sun is destroying the earth. The sun is destroying us. The reason we're all going to die one day is because of the sun. The sun is destroying us. Um, you know, well, that's not the only reason, but, but you know, the sun, you know, 15 years from now, I might have to put a new roof uh, on this house. Why? Because the sun is destroying the roof. The sun is destroying, you know, and, and people tell you to take uh, all sorts of vitamins that are like antioxidants, you know, you ever heard that term? You know, antioxidants, you take those, why? To help you uh, fight against, well, what it does is it, it, it provides more oxygen in your body, which allows you to fight against the damaging uh, that this world does to, to our um, to our bodies and to, to the planet. Well, well, here's the interesting thing, is that when there was this canopy, people believe, around the earth, it would protect against the violent rays from the sun, so that things on earth wouldn't get destroyed as easily. And that's why some people also, um, and again, none of this, you know, the Bible doesn't spell this out for us, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to ask God, but just giving you some information to think about, um, they believe that this canopy that was around the earth, this water canopy, which the Bible tells us was the... You know, above the heavens and under the heaven, there was water. Um, that it also provided a pressure around the earth that would actually, and, and I don't, I can't, I don't have the note in front of me, and I, I don't know that I give it justice. But it, it would provide a pressure so that you would be able to, when when they breathe, they would breathe in more oxygen than we do now, uh, because of the pressure that this canopy provided on the earth. So what what was happening is people, as they would breathe, they would get more oxygen flowing through their body, which would 
provide you know the anti the same effect that antioxidants do uh, for us today. And then because the canopy, less uh, of the violent sun would come on the earth. So that's why the pre-flood world in the Bible, people were living up to 900 years, is what the Bible says. You know, and obviously they were they were eating uh, only you know up to this point they were not eating meat. Um, which I don't advocate, I love meat, but, you know, they, they had a different vegetation. Obviously, they weren't eating, you know, they weren't drinking Coca-Cola with high fructose corn syrup and all the uh, crazy things that we're doing now, you know, um, that, that we do. So they just had a, a better diet. They lived longer. It was a perfect, remember, God created a perfect environment. He created a paradise. So, so some creation scientists believe that, that when the Bible says that God, the windows of heaven were open, that God actually allowed that canopy of water to fall on the earth, which added to the worldwide flood. Something for you to think about, uh, maybe, maybe very interesting. Something else, look, look at, you're in Genesis chapter number 7, look at verse 11 again. It says, in, in the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up. And the windows of heaven were opened. So the Bible says that there's three things that caused the flood. God made it rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The windows of heaven were open, which some creation scientists believe, and I think I would tend to believe, that that was where God allowed the water that was originally above the firmament, according to Genesis chapter number 1, He allowed that water to fall upon the earth, which added to the flood. But then not only that, the Bible says that the fountains of the great deep were broken up. The fountains of the great deep were broken up. Now, today, we have, you know, to, to this day, and you, you think, oh, that's crazy, but to this day, we have huge uh, chambers of water underneath the earth. Um, some scientists believe that there's actually more water underneath the earth than there is out in the ocean. I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but, I, you know, you ever heard of a well? You know, people dig down in the earth and there's water there. Well, let me, let me read for you some verses. Just go to Psalms. Um, I, I want you to see these. Psalms chapter number 24. I'm always amazed with how much science there is in the Bible. You know, these, these evolutionists want us to, uh, to, to run and hide, um, being ashamed, calling us ignorant, because they think the, the Bible has no science. But there's a lot of science in the Bible. And look at Psalm chapter number, Psalm 24. Psalm 24, and look at verse number 1. Psalm 24 and verse number 1. The Bible says, A Psalm of David, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Look at verse 2. And he hath founded it. Talking about the earth. Look what it says. That's what, we, that's what verse 1 said, right? The earth is the Lord, that's the subject. And he, God, hath founded it, the earth, look what it says, upon the seas. And established it upon the floods. So according to Psalm 24:2, the Bible says that when God created the earth, he founded it upon the seas, he established it upon the floods. Go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33 and verse 7. Psalm 33 and verse 7. Let me show you another similar thing. Psalm 33 and verse 7. The Bible says, He gathered the waters of the seas together as in heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. So the Bible says in Psalm 33, 7, that God layeth up the depths in storehouses. Now look at, I'll just show you one more verse. Psalm 136 and verse 6. Psalm 136 and verse number 6. Psalm 136 and verse 6, the Bible says, To him that stretches out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. So the Bible tells us there that God stretched out the earth, where? It says, above 
the water. So according to the Bible, and according to science, we know this just from you know, living on earth and people drilling, but according to the Bible, God founded the earth on top of water. There is a, a huge amount of water that is underneath the earth. And the Bible says during the days of Noah, God opened up the fountains of the deep and allowed this water to come out and this flooded the earth. So some people say, you know, if it rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, that wouldn't be enough to flood the earth. And that's, you know, that may or may not be true. I don't know that and they don't know that. But the Bible doesn't say that the rain was the only thing that flooded the earth. The Bible says that it rained upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says that God opened the windows of heaven. And God said that God allowed the, the fountains of the earth to be, uh, of the deep, uh, to, to bring out water also. Now let me give you some information here. There is a creation scientist who I really like. And the reason I like him is because he's not a, a liberal. He's a, he's a Baptist. He uses the King James Bible and he's saved. Um, his name is Kent Hovind. Uh, you know, my family would, would know of him well. And um, he has a theory, which he calls the, the Hovind theory, as to what happened that caused the flood. Now, this isn't Bible. You know, this is just his, his uh, scientific theory based on the Bible. And it's just something interesting I want to share with you. Uh, you know, you don't, if you, you can disagree with it or not. I'm sure that somebody, some computer nerd on the internet is going to send me an email this week and let me know that Ken Hovind, you know, is in prison or whatever. You know, I, I get emails from these people all the time. They listen to my sermons and they'll correct me on some dumb thing. And, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, you know. I, I love listening to preaching. I listen to preaching too. But I don't have time to sit there, you know, when I listen to somebody maybe mispronounce a word, I don't have time to get on my email and email them all and tell them, oh, you, you said this. Uh, you know, it's funny because they'll send you an email and they'll, and they'll say, at the 36th uh, minute and 40, you know, second um, of your sermon, you said this. And I'm like, man, you really need to get a life. If you're like <laughs> listening to that sermon that intently, you know, it's just kind of crazy. But they do it. You know, we put our sermons on YouTube and, you know, I preach a sermon on Verity and some nerd will get on well, the word verity actually means blah, blah, blah. It's like, shut up. You know I mean? Go soul winning and stop wasting my time. But anyway, um, so someone's going to tell me that Ken Hovind's in prison or whatever, you know, because, you know, whatever. But Ken Hovind's a good guy. I like him. Um, but let me give you his theory. He has what is called the Hovind theory. And it's just his theory based on the Bible uh, um, and science and what he believes happened that allowed the flood to, to happen. So he believes this. And I, and I don't know that I would disagree with him. He believes that a large meteor hit the earth at great speed. And when it hit the earth, it hit it so hard that it actually um, cracked the earth's surface. Which is what the Bible is saying when it referred to that God opened the fountains of the deep. So a large meteor hit the earth, hit it so hard, it cracked uh, the, the earth open, allowing all this water from under the earth to gush out, um, which is what's referred to as the fountains of the deep. Now, now he believes that these cracks on the earth are what we know of as, uh, today as the fault lines. You know, just, just here in the Bay Area, there's a very uh, famous uh, fault line. Uh, called, I can't remember what it's called, the, the San Andreas fault line. San Andreas fault line, you know. And the earth, if you ever, if you, ever you know, you can look it up. Um, all around the earth, there, there are fault, fault lines that kind of make it look like a baseball. You know, and what what he believes is that a meteor hit the earth and and cracked the earth and created these fault lines, which we know are today, which are, by the way, as the as the as the the plates on the earth, you know, shape back and forth at these fault lines. It's the reasons we have earthquakes, the reasons we have tsunamis, the reasons we have all these, uh, you know, these things happen. So so he believes that a meteor hit the earth uh, and it hit, you know, it hit it so hard it caused it a crack. 
uh, or God allowed it to crack, and the water gushed out, um, which is probably primarily the amount of water that, that flooded the earth. Um, and, and something interesting to, to, to lend truth to this theory is this. He also believes that when this meteor hit the earth, that it actually hit the earth so hard that it took it off its axis. Now, I don't know if you, if, if you know, but the planet earth is actually tilted. You know, you, you probably remember that from, from school. It's not on the axis. Now, um, let, let, me re- let me read something for you. I, this, is, this has nothing to do with creationism, but just something to, for you to think about. The Bible, uh, the Bible I, I keep saying this, and it's not, it's not the Bible. It's a website, you know. Uh, but, but let me re- read for you. I, I got this off a, off a website. It says, The Earth's seasons are not caused by uh, differences in the distance from the sun uh, through the year. See, I used to think that, you know, it was winter when we were further away from the sun, and it was summer when we were closer to the sun. But um, according to science, the Earth's seasons are not caused by the difference in the distance from the sun through, through the year. These differences are extremely small. The seasons are the result of the tilt of the Earth's axis. This tilting is, is what gives us the four seasons of the year, spring, summer, autumn, and uh, fall, you know, autumn, fall, and winter. Since the axis is tilted, different parts of the globe are oriented toward the sun at different times of the year. Summer is warmer than winter in each hemisphere because the sun's ray, uh, rays hit the earth in a more direct angle during the summer than during the winter. And also because the days are much longer uh, than the nights during the summer. During the winter... The sun's rays hit the earth at an extreme angle, and the days are very short. These effects are due to the tilt of the earth's axis. So, we get our different, you know, uh, seasons because of the way the earth is tilted. Now, like I was saying, some creation scientists believe that if, the, if a meteor hit the earth uh, so hard that it would actually cause it to tilt uh, the earth's axis, the result would be our extreme weather seasons. Um, and it's interesting, if you go back to Genesis chapter number 8, I want to show you a verse, verse 22. Genesis chapter number 8, and look at verse number 22. Genesis chapter number 8, and look at verse number 22. The Bible says, While the earth remaineth... Are you, are you there? Because I want you to see it. Genesis cha- I'll, I'll wait for you to get there. Genesis chapter number 8, and look at verse 22. This is after the flood. God is talking to Noah. Genesis chapter number 8, look at verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and, do you see what it says? Winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now, Genesis chapter number 8 and verse 22 is the first time in the Bible when these things are mentioned. Cold, heat, summer, and winter. Isn't that interesting? You know, so it would lend truthfulness to the theory that if a meteor hit the earth, knocked it off its axis, and according to science, that's why we have summer and winter. And the very first time that God mentions winter, cold, heat, summer in the Bible is when? Directly after the flood. So I, I you know, I think that it, it could make sense. That, that's a very uh, logical uh, theory, something that could happen. And, but think about this. God created the earth perfect. God created the earth on its axis. And science will tell us that if the earth was not tilted and it was on its axis, do you know this? That except for the the north and south pole would have a a small amount of ice, the rest of the earth would probably just have a tropical uh, atmosphere. You know, the entire earth for the entire year would be at like 70, 80 degrees all the time. But because 
it's tilted, we have some places are very cold, some places are very hot, and then our weather's change. You know, right now it's cold because it's winter, and it'll get hot in the summer. And we have those extreme things, um, and they believe that a meteor hit the earth, and that's what causes that, and that's what causes the fountains of the deep. And it's interesting that the Bible, God doesn't mention the summer, the winter, the cold, or the heat till directly after um, the flood. So it might be that the flood and the meteor hitting it, you know, had something to do with that. So that, that's interesting. And those are just a few facts about the flood. I'm going to give you a few facts about the ark here in a second. But just some things to think about. You know, I think it's interesting that the Bible has a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of science in it, if you really. And, and, um, and one of these days, I'm going to preach a sermon just about all the science that's found in the Bible. The problem is that I'm not very smart, so it's going to take me a long time to compile all those notes. But, um... But, but I think it's interesting. But let, let's look at a few things about the flood, um, and, and then we'll move on to, to Noah and the ark. But look, look at verse number 5 in Genesis chapter number 6. Genesis chapter number 6, and look at verse number 5. The Bible says this, the God, And God saw the wickedness of man. And God saw the wickedness of man. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the, th- of the thought of, the, of his heart were only evil continually. Look at verse 11. And the earth also was corrupt, look what it says, before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted His way upon the earth. The Bible says this, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. Proverbs chapter number 15 and verse 3. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I want you to know this about the flood. Something that we can learn about the flood is this. Our sin is witnessed by God. Our sin is witnessed by God. The Bible says that God saw the wickedness of man. The Bible says that the, that the earth was also was corrupt before God. And Proverbs says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So God witnesses our sin. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I, you know, we, we'll hide our sin from our family. Or we'll hide our sin from our neighbors. Or we'll hide our sin from people that we don't know. But the one person you can't hide your sin from is this, God. God watches your sin. God sees everything you do. Look at, look at uh, Genesis chapter number 6 and look at verse 6. Something else that we can learn about the flood is this. Not only that God witnesses our sin, but our sin grieves God. Look at verse number 6 of chapter number 6. It says, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth. And it grieved Him at His heart. I think that's interesting. That the Bible would tell us that the sin of mankind grieved God at His heart. I think it's interesting that God has a heart. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it may not be like a, a physical muscle heart because the Bible uses the word heart, inter, interchanges it with, with the word mind, you know. So it might just be talking about, you know... Um, you know, your thought life, or thinking, or your being. But, but the Bible says that it grieved him. It grieved him at his heart. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse 3, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. It says, And, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. But not only this, not only does God witness our sin, not only does God get grieved by our sin, but God gets angry over our sin. Our sin angers God. Look at verse number 7. Genesis chapter number 6, and look at verse number 7. Look at the response to God's grief. He said, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. 
both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made man. Look at verse 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them. And look what it says. With the earth. Psalm 7, 11 says this. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Let me tell you something. God sees your sin, and God is grieved by your sin. But not only that, God gets angry when He sees your sin. God does not think your sin is cute. God does not think your sin is not that big of a deal. You know, sometimes you'll talk to people, and, 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 you, and they'll ask you something. You'll tell them, hey, well, here's what the Bible says. And they'll say, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. Or they'll just laugh it off. Or they'll, you know, uh, oh, you, you'll make a point to them. Or, or you'll say something, or you'll preach, and they'll, and they'll kind of laugh it off. Or, or you're just a little too dogmatic. Or, or you're just, you know, you're just taking those old things. I don't really think God cares that much. Well, let, let me tell you, God cares about your sin enough to destroy the earth. I mean, we, you know, I, I think as a child I would read about this and I thought, you know, God flooded the earth and, and it's just, it just means so He filled it up with water and then He drained it down and it was fine. But that's not true. I mean, Genesis 6.13 says, the, the last part says, And behold, I will destroy them. And then, look what he says, With the earth. God says, Your sin is going to cause me not only to kill you, but I'm going to have to destroy the, the thing that I think is perfect. And I never really realized it until I started studying it. But God said, I created a perfect earth with a perfect, I mean, it was paradise. It was a tropical atmosphere all the time. It was upright. And now I'm going to have to send this meteor. I'm going to destroy it. I, I mean, could you imagine God, every time God looks down at earth, it's tilted and he, it just reminds him. Of how much he hates sin. I mean, every time God looks at earth and he sees the cracks that, that, that bring so much destruction to our life and bring so many, um, uh, you know, earthquakes and, and floods to our life, and he says, that's how much I hate sin. I'm willing to destroy mankind and I'm willing to destroy the earth because I hate your wickedness. God doesn't think your sin is cute. God, does, God is not amused. Your sin is witnessed by God, your sin grieves God, and your sin angers God. But let's see what we can learn about Noah. Look at verse number 8, Genesis chapter number 6 and verse number 8. The Bible says, i got to hurry because i got a lot more information I want to give you. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God didn't only notice mankind's sin. Remember I read you that verse... Uh, Psalm 7-11, God judges... The, oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. Uh, let's see. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And it says, Beholding the evil and the good. So as God was looking down and He was beholding all the evil, as He was beholding all the sin, as He was beholding all the violence, as He was beholding all the corruptness, He not only noticed that, He noticed something else. He noticed the good. He noticed Noah. The Bible says in Genesis 6 eight, it says, But God, but Noah found grace in, look what it says, the eyes of the Lord. God didn't only notice mankind's sin, He also noticed Noah. Now why did God notice Noah above the rest? Let's look at just a few verses about Noah. Look at verse 9, Genesis chapter number 6, and look at verse 9. The Bible says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. You know why God liked Noah? Because he was a just man. And perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. A few weeks ago we preached a sermon on Enoch walked with God. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach it. But everything that, that Enoch did to walk with God, you can just apply it to Noah. Because the Bible says Noah walked with God. 
Genesis 6.22 says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Genesis uh, 7.5 says this, And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. You know why I think God liked Noah? Because every time God told Noah do this, the Bible says, Noah did it. Every time um, God commanded Noah to do something, he did it. Now, I, I just want to talk about this briefly. I've talked about this before, so we'll just go through it fast. But Noah was an Old Testament character. And the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we read Hebrews 11.7. Uh, we'll go back there in a second. You don't have to go there. But the first part of Hebrews 11.7 says this. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of the things, uh, things not yet seen, moved with fear, uh, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The Bible says in Genesis 6 eight that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God gave Noah grace. But Hebrews 11.7 tells us that Noah had faith. And Ephesians 2.8 and 9, two of my favorite verses say this, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, or 2.8 says, For by grace, God's grace, are ye saved, were saved, through faith. And it's interesting that two things that were said about Noah is this. Noah found grace. Noah had faith. Hey, Noah was saved. People in the Old Testament say, or people say this. In the Old Testament, people were saved by works. And in, in the New Testament, it's another dispensation. And now we're saved by, by grace and faith. That's not true. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that Noah had faith. And that's why he was saved and God liked him. But let's look at something else about Noah. Just, just go to Hebrews 11.7. I told you to put a mark there, right? Hebrews 11.7. Just look at that verse. Something interesting about Noah. The Bible says, By faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, look what it says, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Judges, I'm sorry, Jude 1.22 says this. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. Jude 1.22 and 23 says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Hebrews 11.7 says that Noah moved with fear. And when he moved with fear, when, when he had fear of the judgment of God that was coming on this earth, Bible says he built an ark, says he prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness which is in faith. The Bible says he moved to fear to save his house. Jude 1, 22 and 23 says, And some have compassion making a difference and others saved with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even the garments spotted by flesh. Hey, if we just got some biblical fear of God's judgment. See, Noah saw God's judgment. Noah said, man, I've never seen rain. I've never seen a flood. I don't know what, but God says He's going to destroy the earth. And that fear overtook him. He said, hey, I'm going to do something to try to save people. I'm going to build an ark and try to get people on that ark so they can be saved from this flood. And if we will look at God's future judgment, which God says He won't destroy the earth with a flood anymore, but He does say this, He's going to destroy the earth with fire. In prophecy. And if we would move with fear, pulling them out of the fire. If we go out and, and, and try to win people to Christ, and try to uh, preach the gospel to somebody, and try to pull them out of the fire, maybe we could be a Noah. Try to get people saved. Not only that, but something interesting about Noah, uh, go back to Genesis uh, chapter number 7, and look at verse 1. We're going to go back to Hebrews 11, because I'm got proving a few points from that. So keep, keep your a marker there, but go to Genesis chapter number 7. And look at verse 1. Genesis chapter number 7. And look at verse 1. 
Noah was saved by fear. Noah was moved by fear. But Noah's family also followed him. Noah's family also followed him. Look at Genesis chapter number 7 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. God told Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Now according to God, the whole world had gone bad. According to God, the earth was filled with violence. According to God, the entire world was corrupt. But the Bible says that God looked down at Noah, and God saw Noah and his family. You know, some people think that the world is too bad. People say this all the time. I don't have children because the earth is too bad. You know, it's just a horrible place. I can't bring children into the earth. Well, Noah did. There's this famous statement. You've probably heard it before. People, people will say this. It takes a village to raise a child. And let me tell you something. That is a lie. It takes a village to raise a child. Well, where, where was Noah's village? What, what, what society did Noah have to help him raise his kids? You know what it takes to raise a child? A mom and a dad who are going to say, Hey, I don't care what the world is doing. I don't care what society is doing. I don't care what way the world is going. Hey, we're going to follow the Bible. And you're going to fear God. And we're going to love God. Hey, that's all it takes to raise a child. And it doesn't even take two parents, it just takes one. The Bible says that Timothy was raised by his mother, never mentions, you know, mentions his grandmother, never mentions his father. If we would just get, you know why the world is going to hell? Because we can't even get one parent to get on fire for God. We can't even get one parent to bring kids to church, to bring people to God. But Noah said, hey, hey kids, I'm going to raise you right. I don't care if the rest of the world is going to hell. Hey, we're going to fear God. And not, not only did he, was he able to have his three, his wife follow him, not only was he able to have his three sons follow him, the Bible tells us that he was able to find three wives for his three sons. Isn't that crazy? So not only was he able to raise his kids right, he was able to find three girls who were raised by the world and get them to be right enough for God to say, bring them on the ark too. And we have this world that thinks we've got to go out and marry some unsaved girl and bring some um, fornicator into God's house. And, and well, you know, you know, you can still raise children for God. And I'm planning on raising my kids for God. The Bible says, you know, that, that if we instruct them and we lead them and we teach them, hey, they won't depart from that way. And you know what else? I'm also planning on having three godly girls, you know, for my two sons. <laughs> I guess I'll need to have a third son. You don't need a village. Noah was able to have a family. And look, Noah's family wasn't perfect, and we'll see that in a couple weeks. But his family followed him. And the, the world was so bad that God wanted to destroy it, and, and he was able to raise his kids right. So let's leave the subject of Noah, and let's talk about the ark. What we can learn from the ark. Now, let me just give you some interesting facts about the ark. Some interesting facts about the ark. I'm just going to re read these for you. Something for you to think about. Um, the Bible says that the ark was to be built of gopher wood. Now this is just interesting. This isn't really about the ark, but it's, it's about the NIV Bible. And any chance I get to tell you how worthless the NIV Bible is, I like to take it. So let me read this for you. The Bible says the ark was to be built of gopher wood. Now gopher is actually a Hebrew word. In the early English translations, the meaning of the word was unknown. So it was left untranslated. The NIV translates translates the word gopher wood into cypress wood. However, this is only a guess. It was undoubtedly translated uh, this way due to the fact that cypress wood is highly uh, resistant to rot. Um, 
what this material was is still a mystery. It could have been a pre-flood wood uh, with which we are not familiar. So the reason I'm telling you that is because the, the, Bible, the King James Bible uses the word gopher wood. Now, obviously they didn't know what gopher wood was when they were translating the Bible. So here's what they did. They said, let's just leave it gopher wood. We don't know what it is, so let's just not mess with it. Now maybe that, you know, we have a good idea. Uh, it might be cypress wood, but they said, you know what? We're not 100%, so let's just leave the Word of God. But the NIV translator said, well, we're just going to take a guess, and we're just going to put in cypress wood. Now look, it might have been an educated guess, but it's still just a guess. And if I were you, you know, I, I don't want a Bible where I'm reading it, and I don't know what word they didn't know was or wasn't, and they just took a guess. Because to this day, we don't know what gopher wood is. And, and it's, it could have very well been a pre-flood wood that we're not familiar with. And putting something in the Bible that you don't know if that's truly what God meant for it to be. Hey, I'm glad the King James translator said, hey, we don't know what gopher wood is. We can't figure that out. No one's ever heard of gopher wood, so we're just going to leave it as gopher wood. You know, but the NIV just takes whatever, you know, authority they think they have to change words, even if they're just guessing as to what the word may be. But I'll read that verse for you, Genesis 6.14. It says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Now, let me give you another interesting fact about the ark. God designed the ark himself. We do not need to assume that no one knew anything about shipbuilding. Now, this is interesting. Go, go to... Go to Genesis chapter number 6 and look at verse 15. Genesis chapter number 6 and look at verse 15. Genesis chapter number 6 and verse 15. The Bible says, remember, God designed the ark. Genesis 6.15. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Now, the, the word cubits there, in the Old Testament in the Bible, a cubit was a measurement of your elbow to your furthest finger. Alright? Now... Obviously, that measurement varies depending on people. You know, the measurement of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of short, so the measurement of my elbow to, um, to the highest finger is going to be different than somebody who's a lot taller, you know. So different, you know, the, we're told that the Egyptians had a different measurement uh, for a cubit than maybe Noah did. So we don't really know. You know, we have, kind of have an idea of what it could have been, but we don't really know what that is. But, but, but that, that's what the cubit is, just so you understand that. And it says... Genesis 6.15 And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. So God told Noah, make it lengthwise 300 cubits. The breadth of it, 50 cubits. That word breadth means the width. So he said the width is going to be 50 cubits. And the height, 30 cubits. So God said, make it 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Now, the ark had a ratio, length times width times height, of 300 cubits times 50 cubits times 30 cubits. According to shipbuilders today, this ratio rep represents an advanced knowledge of shipbuilding. Since it is the optimum, optimum design for stability in rough seas. The ark, as designed by God, was virtually impossible to capsize. It would have, uh, it would have had to have been tilted 90 degrees in order for it to capsize. Isn't that interesting? Shipbuilders today will build a ship with, with, with this idea. You want to make it six times as long as it is wide. And that's, you know, if you think of a ship, that's what you think of. A ship is usually six times as wide, uh, six times as long as it is wide. Well, what did God tell... Uh, know what to do. 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, which is exactly 
six times as long as it is wide, what shipbuilders today do. You know, it's interesting, if people would just read the Bible, they'd, they'd understand that, man, there's a lot of science in there. How did Noah know how to build an ark? How did Noah know how to build a boat? He didn't. But God knew. And they say, man, this represents an advanced knowledge of shipbuilding. Well, I would hope so, since God is the one who told them how to build it. So, um, so, so that's interesting. Let me give you another interesting fact about the ark. Some people believe uh, it is almost certain that Noah did not construct a standard wooden ship of the kind we are familiar with. Uh, they say that the ark was not like a uh, streamlined vessel designed easily to glide through the waters. More likely, it was shaped like a rectangular barge which floated rather low in the water. So, you know, we get this idea of a huge Titanic-looking ship, and they're just saying, again, this is speculation, the Bible doesn't tell us, but they're saying that it was probably more like a big box than it, that floated deep in the water than an actual boat. Now, that would make sense to, um, to me, because the way I like to study the Bible is this. When I'm, when I'm studying the Bible, I will do a word search. And I will, I will put in a word and just look it up every time that word comes in the Bible. When you put in the word ark in the Bible, here's what comes up. Noah's ark. And then the only other time is talking about the ark of the covenant. The ark of the, uh, uh, you know, that the Hebrews had in their, in their temple there. Well, the ark of the covenant, we know was what? A big box. <laughs> you know, so God uses that word ark for both instances. So, so I, I can see how that could be true. You know, he didn't call it a boat, he called it an ark. And um, so, so he built an ark there, and it, it more than likely uh, sank low in the water, or, or floated, but it was low in the water, not exactly like a boat that we think of uh, today. And let me see. Let me show you a verse on that. Genesis chapter number 8 and verse 1. I'll show you why it was probably not a, a regular Genesis chapter number 8 and look at verse 1. The Bible says, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters as waves. So, according to this verse, Noah was, you know, really just... He wasn't going anywhere. You know, he wasn't sailing. He was just going. And it was, he was really at just the mercy of God. And the Bible says that God caused a wind to come, and He kind of led him and made sure that he was taken care of. But he wasn't, you know, uh, I, was, I, was, I was listening to, to one of the, the preaching things from this scientist, this creation scientist that I like, Ken Hoven. And he, he was talking about how, he was talking about the ark, and, and he has this belief how maybe there was rocks that they used to, in order to keep the boat from capsizing also. I won't get into that, but it was funny because somebody emailed him and said, you know, these computer nerds, I'm telling you, they're out there, they're just always getting on the internet. And they're like, they emailed him, they're like, Dr. Hover, you are so stupid to think that, you know, he would put this, you know, these rocks on his ark to keep it from capsizing. He's like, don't you know that that would slow him down? And uh, Ken Hoven says he emailed him back and said, where was he going? <laughs> you know, there was nowhere to go. The whole earth was under, was under uh, water. So he, it wasn't a boat, you know, and it, it didn't necessarily have a sail or had a way to lead it anywhere. No, it wasn't going anywhere. He was just surviving, you know. He just got in the ark and he was just trying to not sink. So, you know, some people believe that that's, that, that was there what happened. Now let me explain to you some other things. Um, according to 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 5, the Bible says that eight souls were saved um, by the ark. And that would be Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Um, so those are the only humans on the ark. Now most people believe this, that, that God, that, that Noah brought animals into the ark two by two. And that's true to an extent. Noah was instructed to bring two of every sort of animal um, to the ark 
But he was also instructed to bring seven of every clean beast to the ark. And a lot of people don't, you know, it's not that they don't know that, but you don't get told that when you're a kid. You know, they just tell you the, the most basic thing. I want you to know this. So God said, bring, you know, we're going to bring two of every sort of animal on the ark, and we're also going to bring seven of every clean animal. And if you study the book of Leviticus, God makes a difference between the clean and the unclean animal, because the clean animal is used to sacrifice. And if you look at Genesis chapter number 9, the first thing that Noah does, get, getting off the ark, he, is he uh, sacrifices to God. So if you only have two animals, a male and a female, you know, the clean animals, and he sacrificed one of them right when he got off the ark, well, that animal is dead, you know, there's no way to reproduce. So he had to bring seven of those animals so he could perform the sacrifice, and that uh, animal will still survive. Let me give you something else to think about. The Bible makes it very clear that he's going to bring of every sort of animal. So people think it's impossible for uh, Noah to bring every type of, you know, every, every animal on the ark. That would be impossible. Well, he didn't bring every animal on the ark. You know, he didn't bring, when it, when it came to dogs, he didn't bring like, oh, you got to bring a, a Doberman Pinscher, and you got to bring a German Shepherd, and you got to bring a Chihuahua, and you know, that's, that, he just brought two dogs. And, and we're told this, you know, a scientist tells us this, that every type of dog that we have on planet Earth right now could have easily came from two dogs. You know, obviously mating and, and all of that, um, the, the different types. So he just brought two sorts of animals, you know. Um, and, and more than likely, you know, it makes sense to me that he would bring baby animals, you know, um, that would make sense. Another thing to know about is this, when I was a kid and I was told about Noah's Ark, I always envisioned that Noah was just out in the jungle capturing these animals, bringing them on the ark, but that's not true either. The Bible says that God brought the uh, animals to Noah, so God brought the animals when he was ready, and uh, just something to, get, to think about, something for you to know um, there. So, let's, let's look at a few things, what we can learn about the ark. Oh, and, and let me just say this. You know, some people think, could this really happen? Could the earth honestly be flooded, the entire earth? And here's what you got to understand. Oh, you know, could, could Noah survive on the ark? Could Noah honestly bring all these animals and be there on the ark? Could that really happen? What we must under, remember is this. This event, the flood, had supernatural elements. No, like I just said, the animals came to the ark against their natural instinct, according to Genesis chapter number 6 and verse 20. So therefore, you, you, you've got to understand, you know, we don't really know what happened, but obviously there was supernatural, there was miracles that happened, there was things that God... I mean, some, some people um, believe it, and it would be reasonable to assume that, that um, maybe some of the animals, you know, maybe God uh, put some of the animals into like some sort of a hibernation period, you know, I mean, we know that bears go into hibernation, stuff like that. You know, obviously we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but, but we know this, it could have happened because God was in control. And obviously God is the God of miracles, and God can do whatever He wants. So, and we should have this attitude. We shouldn't try to explain away the Bible. We should just believe the Bible. You know, my attitude is this. I don't try to explain away the Bible. I try to find, like, you know, if I'm even going to, I try to find where the, where, where, where the Bible proves science, not trying to disprove the Bible, you know, using science. Because we should just believe this, the Bible, that's it, you know. But, but some, some interesting things about the Ark. Now, let me give you some, some points, uh, uh, spiritual points about the Ark. The Ark represents Jesus Christ. The ark represents Jesus Christ. The ark was available for anyone. And salvation through Jesus Christ is available to anyone. 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 20, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. It says, which sometimes were disobedient. It says, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was uh, preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So the Bible says that God had long 
long-suffering. While Noah was preparing the ark, God had long-suffering. And that whole time that Noah, and we don't know, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically, you know, people say 120 years, and I understand how they come with that number, but the Bible doesn't specifically tell us how long it took uh, for him to, to build the ark. Um, but that entire time that Noah was building the ark, and we don't know, he might have hired people, um, you know, did Noah build the entire ark by himself with his three sons? I don't know. But he... he it's reasonable to think that maybe he hired people to help him build this ark. You know, people might not believe it, but they'll, you know, you pay them, they'll do what you, what you need them to do. But that whole time that Noah was building this ark as a testament to these people, hey, God was being long-suffering, and God was giving them a chance. And they could have believed, and they could have, um, you know, asked for forgiveness. And, and many times we see God come to a nation to destroy it, and it, and it says that He repents. You know, and, and he turns back and he, and he doesn't destroy. And he could have done that here. He had long suffering. He had, anyone had the ability to get on that ark. Anybody. And anybody has the ability to get saved. God's long suffering. Not only that, no priest to them. Second Peter chapter number 2 and verse 5 says this, And spared not the old world. Talking about God's judgment. It says that God didn't spare the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So the Bible calls Noah this, a preacher of righteousness. You remember that we saw Enoch was a preacher also? You remember that? And, uh, and the Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and the Bible says that Noah walked with God. You can't walk with God without preaching the gospel. You can't walk with God without being a soul winner. You know why? Because here's what Jesus Christ said. Follow me, and here's what Jesus Christ said. I will make you a fisher of men. God said, if, Jesus Christ, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. So the flip side to that is if you're not a fisher of men, it's because you're not following God. Not because you're not following Jesus Christ. And if you're following Jesus Christ, then you're walking with Jesus Christ. And every person that we see that walked with God, we also see them preaching. And the Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So I'm sure that entire time, while Noah was building the ark, he was preaching to people. He was telling people, hey, God's going to destroy the earth. God's going to destroy it with a flood. Hey, you got, you got to, you know... Get in the ark. So the ark was available for anyone. Not, not only that, why is the ark a picture of Jesus Christ? The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ because there was a divine and human side to the ark. And there was a divine and human side to Jesus Christ. Think about this. The ark was built by a man. You know, physically. Noah physically built the ark. It was a, an earthly vessel. Jesus Christ was, you know, quote-unquote, built by a man. Why do you say that? Well, well, he had a human body. You know, that, that's, that was Mary's part of the deal. She provided the human body part. And, but here's the thing. If you're in Genesis, look at verse number 7. Or chapter, look at chapter number 7, look at verse 1. Genesis chapter number 7, look at verse 1. It's interesting. Genesis chapter number 7, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, So this is when God is getting ready to destroy the earth. It says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Look what he says. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in the generation. Now, if, if, if you're standing, you know, if, if you're outside and I'm inside my house and I open the door and I say, Hey, come thou into my house. Where am I? Am I outside with you? No, right? I'm inside. That's not a true question. I mean, if God says, Come thou into the ark, then where was God? In the ark. Look at Genesis chapter number 8. Look at verse 16. After the flood, when they're getting off the ark, look, look at what God said. Genesis chapter number 8. And look at verse 16. 
Bible says, God said this, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. So God told him, hey, come into the ark, and then he said, go out of the ark. So what was God in the ark? The entire time, God was with them in the ark. And the ark has this, this uh, divine side to it, because God designed it, and God gave him the measurements, and God was in the ark, but it was built by a man, and Jesus Christ has a divine side to him, because he's 100% God, but he has this man side to him, because he's 100% man. So the ark represents Jesus Christ. Not only that, how does the ark represent Jesus Christ? There was only one door in the ark. There's only one door in the ark. Look at Genesis chapter number 6 and look at verse 16. Genesis chapter number 6 and look at verse 16. We're almost done, I promise. Genesis chapter number 6 and look at verse 16. The Bible says, a, God is telling him how to build the ark. He says, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and, a, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And look what he says, And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. God instructed him, Hey Noah, build one door, one door only. Jesus Christ said this, John chapter number 10 and verse 9, He said, this is what Jesus Christ said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus Christ said in John 10, 9, I am the door. Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And here's the interesting thing about the ark. If somebody wanted to be saved from the judgment of God, they had to come into the ark through one door. There's only one way in the ark. And there's only one way to get out of the judgment of hell that is coming. And it's only through the door, Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Amen. Can, well, can I get saved through, 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 through Muhammad? Can I get saved through Buddha? Can I get saved through the Jehovah's uh, Witnesses? Can I get saved through the Mormons? Can I get saved through people who don't believe in Jesus Christ? No! There's only one way. There's only one door. If you're coming in the ark, you're coming through one door, is what God said. And if you're coming to heaven, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ said, I am the door. So there's only one way. Not only that, but God provides the security in the ark. I already told you that God was in the ark, but God provides the security. Look at verse number 16 of Genesis chapter number 7. Genesis chapter number 7, look at verse 16. The Bible says, And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And look what it says, the last part, because it's talking about the animals going in. Look at the last part of Genesis chapter number 7, verse 16. It says, And the Lord shut him in. So not only did God tell them build one door, but when they were all in, the Bible says that God shut the door. And provided security in the ark. Romans 8.38 says this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know this? There's security in Jesus Christ. Yes, there's only one way to Jesus. There's, there's only one door in the ark. But once you're in, God says, Hey, I shut the door and no one's going to come out anymore. Hey, that's called eternal security. When I got saved, Jesus, here's what God said. When you get saved, I shut the door. There's no more going out. I couldn't lose my salvation if I was trying to. And they couldn't get out of the ark if they were trying to. Because they didn't open the door and they didn't close it. God... Closed it. You know what that tells me too? Is that when, God, when they got out, God had to open the door. 
But, but God closed that door. And here's another idea with that, is that when God, closes, when God closed that door, no one else can come in. I'm sure that God closed that door and before it started raining, and once it started raining, and hypothetically, once that meteor hit the earth there, and the water started, I'm sure those people going towards that ark, I'm sure there was fingernail scratchings on that ark. People trying to get into that ark. People wanting to get that ark, but here's a, here's a problem. Once the door is shut, no one's coming in. Noah preached. The Bible says that the long-suffering of God, while Noah was building the ark, he was long-suffering, and there was time, and they had time to get saved. They had time to, 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 to get right. They had time to get in the ark. But once he closed that door, he said, it's done. And you know what? God can close the door and say, it's done. At any time. we got to take advantage of the long-suffering of God right now. But I, I think this is interesting. Go, go to Hebrews chapter number 11. Look at verse 7. This is the last verse we'll look at, I promise. Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 7. By the way, you know, that, that's not just applies in, in, in salvation, although it does apply in salvation. You know, there comes a time where God just will reject somebody after, after time and time and time of they rejecting Him. God will say, you know what, you're done, and He'll close the door, and you can't get saved anymore. Obviously, if you die without believing in Jesus Christ, God shuts the door and you can't get saved anymore. And obviously, when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to judge the earth with fire and, 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 you know, and destroy it with fire, the door is going to be shut and no one will be able to come in anymore. But there's also that principle in just your life. You know, the Bible says about David, you know, um, when, when he, co- he, he committed that sin there and after he got right with God and God accepted him and, his, and God, God accepted him. God allowed him to get right. But you know, the Bible says there were certain things that David could no longer do. And God said, you know what? These things are just closed to you. And kids, you should, you should keep that in mind as you live your lives. Remember that God watches everything you do. And there are certain things. You know, I am sure there are things in my life that maybe God had victories that I could have won and things that I could have done that are no longer available to me because of maybe sins that I've done. And that's a very real thing. God... You know, we, we always say God is the God of the second chance. Not always. And He may be the God of the second chance, but He's maybe not the God of the third or the fourth or the fifth or the whatever. So there's a, comes a time when He shuts the door. But let, let me show you something interesting in Hebrews 11.7 and we'll be done. Hebrews 11.7. The Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And look what it says. Very interesting. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. I heard a preacher say this once. Uh, my, my pastor that I, I used to have before we started this church in, in, in Vacaville, California, he made the statement. I thought it was... At first I was like, I didn't understand it, but, but it's true. He said, you know, the mere presence... And he, he said that about his church, but it would apply to us. You know, the mere presence of Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento, California, condemns Sacramento, California. Jesus Christ said, if, 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 if Sodom and Gomorrah would have seen the miracles that He was performing there while He was... He said they would have repented. And Jesus Christ was saying, what, what Hebrews 11 7 is saying here, is that the mere presence of the ark condemned them. Because they, they could never say, no one could look at Noah and say, I didn't know judgment was coming. I didn't know rain was coming. I didn't know the flood was coming. The mere fact that there was an ark built condemned them, is what the Bible says. By the which he condemned the world 
behave. No one will stand before God and be able to open their mouth. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 1 that their mouths will be stopped. I'm sorry, Romans chapter number 3 says that. Their mouths will be stopped. Romans 1.20 says this, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse. No one will stand, you know, none of these people that died at the flood will be able to say, we didn't know, they knew, because the flood was there. By the which He condemned the world. How did He condemn the world? By the preparing of an ark. While He was preparing the ark to save His house, He condemned the world. Just the fact that we're here condemns this world. They have no excuse. But you know what we should do? While God is still long-suffering, we should be like Noah and go out and preach. While God is still long-suffering, we should be like Noah and go preach the gospel. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love the Bible. I love these Bible stories. And we can learn about, a lot about God through the story of Noah's ark and the flood death. We can learn about God's judgment and God's hate for sin. But we can also learn about God's grace and how He would deliver a person. Just because He loved them. And God loves us and, and you know what? God's judgment is coming and hell is coming and all of that. We know that. But God also gave us an ark. His name is Jesus Christ. There's one way. It's through that ark. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Lord, I just ask that somebody would maybe would leave here tonight a little encouraged, maybe having a little more knowledge, maybe having something to think about. Lord, we love you and we love your Bible. In your precious name I pray. Amen.